Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Hi there. I hope you're all well. The situation in Ukraine once again appears to be intensifying as Putin's drones lay siege to cities across the country. His army appears to be in retreat. It's a fast moving and confusing situation. But to help make sense of it all, I spoke to Jonathan Anderson, a former economist at Goldman Sachs and the International Monetary Fund, and an expert on China, Russia, and emerging markets. We had a broad discussion, and in this pod, we focus on Russia, its place in the world, and how events in the West have affected the emerging markets so far this year. But in the first part of the pod, we're going to discuss the current political and economic situation in Russia. Enjoy. From your opinion, what's the situation currently in Russia economically and politically? Can you give us a broad overview? Yeah, I mean, politically, as you you know from headlines, right, things are very tense and very problematic. Uh, Initially, support at home in Russia was very strong for the war, right? This is a country that had been essentially force-fed years and years and years of state-led propaganda as to how vicious and evil the Ukrainian regime was and how it was implacably set on, you know, genocidal reprisals against the Russian population. And so, you know, when Mr. Putin then went in in February and March uh, to, you know, his special operation, if you will, uh, military operation against Kiev, uh, locals at home actually were, were broadly supportive because they had been you know, inculcated into this state of fear about uh, the West's intentions and and Ukraine's intentions against, uh, you know, their Russian compatriots and against themselves. Uh, Of course, six months on, seven months on, uh, things have worn very thin. Most people have had the chance to get online and to educate themselves about what's really happening uh, with these latest mobilization calls that's come home with you know a big bang uh, that your uh, sons and husbands may be dragged off the street and thrown into a front where you know there's really no hope and where people are dying so you know things are are very much fraying i think mr putin and uh, his uh, immediate uh, you know uh, comrades at the top are being very much pushed into corners here it's a lot of uncertainty and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress points that are coming on, which really raised the, the, the prospect for potential volatility, including things like the nuclear option, right? No one really knows for sure whether Mr. Putin is in a position or, you know, wh- what he's thinking about carrying through on these, th- these threats, right? Uh, so politically, things are very frayed. And, uh, you know, that, again, raises all sorts of tail risks and, uh, and uh, lack of visibility for where we're going in the next three months not clear whether he has three months, right, it's in order to survive in office. Um, or he may, you know, still be around in 20 years time. But again, uh, you know, the, the the stakes have been raised so aggressively now that, uh, you know, there's there are lots and lots of surprises that could be coming up on the Russian political front. Um, ironically, the economy is not doing that bad. Um, sanctions obviously have cut off uh, Russia's access to, you know, Western financial flows in many areas, uh, bond and debt investments, credit cards, you know, Western systems don't work in Russia. Um, There's an oil embargo vis-a-vis Europe. Uh, They're trying to find ways to cut off their, their, you know, gas dependency on the Russian energy. 
But the dirty little secret here is that Russia has, uh, especially with today's very high oil, oil prices, has successfully segued to selling a large part of its oil directly to China, along with other uh, more friendly EM neighbors like Turkey and India. And as a result, I mean, Russia is still uh, importing uh, a good number uh, or a good amount of its uh, goods needs uh, from China and other Asian partners. Uh, it's still socking away very big surpluses on the external account because, again, oil prices are very high and it's still gladly selling its oil to uh, to China and, and uh, you know, a few other uh, EM neighbors. And uh, as a result, I mean, despite all of the sanctions you've seen, planes not flying, uh, you know, sanctions on overseas balances, Russia Inc. is still going on. The ruble has strengthened. The market has stabilized. Uh, most people at home, you know, understand that inflation is high and they've seen a bit of a shock from the lack of some imported goods, but it's not as if the Russian economy is collapsing, right? You certainly have had a negative shock this year and the costs are likely to be growing as you continue to divert, divert resources into the military. But this is not the, you know, sudden Armageddon moment where an impoverished, starved populace rises up against Mr. Putin. That's absolutely not happening in Russia, uh, much to the dismay, I think, of, of Western leaders who thought that, uh, you know, sanctions would have a much bigger bite. Do, do we have any idea what Russia wants from its war in Ukraine now? Oh, yes. I mean, they at this point, I think uh, they would be happy. And when I say they, obviously, Mr. Putin would probably be happy to consolidate in uh, Donetsk, Lugansk, consolidate, obviously, you know, the, the already existing hold on Crimea and essentially declare victory in the sense of having retaken uh, all of the Russian speaking parts and the historically Russian parts of Ukraine, right? He was close, but unfortunately, that's not going so well, right? Uh, you still have uh, vicious battles being waged in those eastern parts of uh, of Ukraine. And, uh, you know, we're not yet close to a point where Mr. Putin can just consolidate uh, his territory, so to speak, and call it a day. Actually, he's they're fighting tooth and nail for every inch that they have, you know, managed to gain in, in those uh, provinces. And they certainly don't have anything like control over, you know, the entirety, even of those two most sensitive parts where, you know, Russian speakers and Russian sympathizers dominate. So we really are stuck here, right? Uh, Mr. Putin doesn't have a position where he can easily just back off right now. He needs to at least push through, grab, fully grab and fully control these, uh, these parts in order to, you know, be able to come home and say, we've done what we wanted to do. Um, so yeah, no. Uh, and, and I have to say, I mean, despite the mobilization, much of the momentum is still uh, with Ukraine, right? In terms of uh, military support and financial support still coming in in, in large amounts from the West uh, and increasingly in types of armaments that would allow Ukraine to successfully push on and push back against the Russian incursion into the East. So here we sit and uh, it's very tough on both sides. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Where's Russia's place in the world, do you think, right now? Oh, uh, zero, right? I mean, it's Russia has very much cut off ties with almost everyone who could possibly matter. The only relationship that is still ongoing 
in a very, very real and, uh, and supportive sense is the relationship with China. I mean, it still does sell oil to places like India and Turkey, but you know, those are not solid friendships and political ally relationships. Those are very much relationships that are you know, forged for needs of the moment, right? With uh, Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Modi. Uh, but I, I dare say Russia has very few friends in the world and the only one, uh, and, and, uh, and a fraught relationship, I should say now with China, uh, who is, are very upset that Mr. Putin has basically blindsided them with this very ill-advised war. You know, back in January and February, where when Mr. Xi and Mr. Putin were being photographed together at the Olympics and declared, you know, a friendship with no boundaries. Uh, I think it's fair to say, and again, no one knows for sure, but the broad consensus is that the Chinese side really had no idea that within two weeks uh, declare an all-out uh, military assault on the entire country. I don't think that's what they had in mind, nor of course were they prepared for uh, Russia six months later to still be fighting uh, an increasingly unpopular war with, with uh, Ukraine and uh, one that has made China's place in the world very, very difficult, right? I mean, China is in the uncomfortable position of having to back up its earlier words of friendship, not being seen as, you know, sort of going back on everything they've said. But, uh, you know, they clearly are unhappy with what Russia is doing and uh, would much rather see a brokered uh, ceasefire and some sort of, of final settlement uh, as soon as humanly possible, right? Uh, they're still buying Russia's oil, but they're not sending Russia arms and they're not you know, providing them all out support for their military operations, right? China is much more cautious and careful. than that. So given Russia has very few friends, what sort of relationship do you think Russia wants from, well, basically the West in the future? Oh, I think for the foreseeable future, it's fair to say that Russia has burned its bridges, right? I mean, as long as Mr. Putin is in power, certainly, you know, the, 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 the sheer, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not hatred, but you know, vitriol coming out of every statement uh, from Mr. Putin's mouth about the West, about the NATO, about the US, about Europe. Uh, I don't think there's any easy way back from that, right? And on the West, I mean, no one has any sympathies anymore for what's happening within Russia, certainly Mr. Putin's position. I would uh, say, I think fairly confidently that it's going to take the next leader uh, coming to power in Russia to even begin to uh, repair any ties uh, with the, you know, the rest of the developed world as a whole. And does that mean just in the future, whatever happens with the war, that Russia will be looking more towards the East for its economic prosperity rather than the West? Yes, I, I dare say that's the case. I mean, I think Russia will uh, simply be forced into uh, a closer economic relationship with China, right? One where it sells all of its energy to China and in return gets most, if not all, of its goods needs from China and perhaps from other Asian uh, partners. Uh, you know, so yes, uh, Russia, uh, in a, a very real sense, becoming a kind of vassal state, right? Uh, in the same way that Mongolia is a vassal state of China, right? Uh, completely dependent on China for all of its exports uh, and overwhelmingly dependent on China for all of its imports. Uh, that's where ironically we are now going in Russia's case. And we'll see how things play out in the next two or three years. But if I had to make a forecast today, I mean, that certainly is where we are almost already and where we are very likely to be in one year's time.
get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash the investor download. How have emerging markets been affected by the events in the West so far this year? Emerging markets have been hit very hard, right? Um, and hit very hard in a very specific way. Uh, if you look at uh, commodity prices and exports, still very strong, right? Your average emerging market uh, is still enjoying, you know, commodity exporters are still enjoying the uh, residual effects of very high commodity prices, uh, both from last year's commodity rally, but also because of the sharp spike in fuel and food costs that have come off of the Russia-Ukraine conflict this year. Uh, that's uh, been a net benefit to you know a significant part of the emerging world. Uh, and even those who are commodity importers, like Asia, like uh, Eastern Europe, have also enjoyed uh, the fact that exports and global demand are still decently strong, right? I mean, you know, the U.S. is uh, gradually moving into what looks like recession next year. Europe is certainly moving into what will be a recession over the winter and into uh, the spring, but moving very slowly, right? So trade has still been strong over the course of 2021 going into 2022. Commodity prices have been strong. So from a pure macro point of view, the emerging world is still in fairly good condition, right? In terms of, uh, you know, global demand and, and uh, you know, the global growth delta. Uh, next year actually will be uh, a worse time for emerging markets on that front. What has happened, though, in the emerging world in 2022 is that market sentiment has collapsed, right? We've had this huge rally on the dollar as people have pulled funds out of other parts of the world. You've had this big reversal of capital flows back into safe home markets, again, hugely benefiting the dollar in particular. But in the EM world, I mean, that's just taken a, a, a huge toll on markets, right? So equities are down. Currencies have been selling off. You've seen FX reserves uh, falling as, as, you know, again, foreign investors and domestic investors pulling out of, of EM trades, uh, putting them into, uh, you know, safer havens in the developed universe. Uh, spreads have widened and many uh, large debtors in EM or, or debt-stressed countries have actually been pushed into illiquidity, right? I mean, suddenly Sri Lanka falls apart. Suddenly, you know, places like Pakistan are having trouble. You know, you've been forced back into the hand, into the uh, the arms of the IMF and forced into new programs and uh, debt restructuring arrangements simply because the funding has stopped, right? So again, uh, it's been a horrific year for markets and market flows, and that has had a big toll on large parts of EM. And you mentioned that the valuations have collapsed. Are you seeing any opportunities yet, or have they got a little bit further to go? A little bit further to go is our mantra right now. Again, I mean, you've uh, normally we would have we would have been looking at next year as our really bad year for EM, right? Because next year is when you actually get the full brunt of falling commodity prices, U.S. recession, European recession, trade in negative territory, right? I mean, global contraction in manufacturing demand. That's the environment where EM markets are normally selling off. And that's a sell-off that probably would have started uh, now or in the fourth quarter of this year. In fact, it started 12 months ago, right? And so what's happened is you've had this big sell-off that has priced in already a lot of the pain uh, in a hurry in advance. And that's very unusual, actually, if you look at previous cycles in emerging markets. Uh, this has happened very fast and very furious. Uh, so the good news is, again, your things have become relatively cheap, and you've had uh, 
you know, a lot of, of that markdown in place. The bad news, of course, is that we're still going into the actual macro slowdown, right? Next year will be the recessionary year, and that's where you start to see commodities coming off, in our view, uh, to a much greater extent than they have this year. And in that environment, you're just not going to get a lot of upside for EM. You know, there are markets where we think the worst is over and you can, you know, go flat for a while, but, you know, you're not getting any, uh, you know, growth rebound. You're not seeing a recovery, acceleration. What you, what, the time to really buy emerging markets is when you, you know, reach the bottom of the macro cycle, right? Where you're at the inflection point, where you start to see commodities bottoming, where you start to see growth picking up and trade links starting to recover, manufacturing uh, starting to improve just at the margin. That's a, always a good time to start getting back into these very high beta parts of the world, which is what an EM, of course, is. Uh, so we've sold off a lot and we've priced in a lot of pain, but uh, we're still a good ways away from reaching those kind of inflection points. And as a result, the, the call for emerging markets generally is to sit around for a while, consolidate and you know wait for good news to happen. Uh, we are in uh, plenty of individual trades in EM. If you look at our own trading portfolio that we maintain, I mean, we're buying places like India, buying places like Brazil, which are much more domestically driven, have domestic cycles, which are moving in a different direction from what's happening in the rest of the world. Uh, on the equity front, for example, we still see plenty of safe balance sheets to take some fixed income positions in local currency terms. Uh, you know, interest rates are very high in parts of EM uh, and in both nominal and, and real terms. We are buying some of the better parts of EM that have seen spreads and dollar spreads widen. We're taking some debt exposures there, but we're not piling into what I would say EM as a class. I think that trade will be, is a year away, if you will. And, and that really depends on where we go with US and European macro in the next 12 months. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. Investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. Information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products.